So uh, as a study this summer, and it really is a teaching series, we are looking at the book of Revelation. And I asked last week who kind of, you know, in your life have you kind of steered away from uh, maybe even reading the book of Revelation because of what you heard about the book of Revelation or maybe what you started reading about the book of Revelation and it freaked you out. And that's okay. Um, we're going to call it Revelation Weird. There's a lot of Revelation Weird that we're going to get into over the next few weeks. But that's okay. And I, don't, I just wanted to help give us a healthy approach because our encouragement to you is always for you to read the Bible, for you to do it. It's not enough for me to do it and read it to you. It's, it's you. It's, it's all about you reading, picking up God's word for you and reading it and praying. And, you know, we do our Read Your Bible series. It's similar to what this is, uh, but we're actually kind of walking you through the healthy approach to uh, Revelation. All right. Now, I did use the word before. We're going to learn this word together in case you don't know it and you weren't raised in church. And you don't know what we're talking about. The word is eschatology. Everybody say it out loud. Eschatology. All right. Tell you one more time eschatology, okay? It's end times. It's a, it's a study of the, of the theology, if you will, of end times, eschatology, all right? It has to do with belief and concerning death and the end of the world and ultimate destination of humankind, specifically any of various Christian doctrines concerning the second coming of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of the dead or the last judgment. And eschatology is a really big subject. Now, I think we shared this last week. We'll share it every week. We're going to look at doing another study or group in the fall. We'll have some interest. Um, we'll gauge interest for that in a few weeks. I'll have a sign-up sheet and things. You can gauge interest if that's something you want to go into a deeper study. It's a much bigger topic than just revelation. Even though revelation is a big part of eschatology, it is not the whole. It does not look at the whole thing. There's so much, there's almost five times written about the second coming of Christ in terms of prophecy than there was about the first time he came. All right, so there's, there's a lot in the Old Testament. There's references that Jesus makes. There's, there's references of the New Testament. So that's a big study. Everybody with me? Nod your head if you're with me. Yes, eschatology is a big study. I just want to set expectations. We're not covering everything in this, this series. No way we could. But we are talking about how Revelation, the book of Revelation, ties into it. Okay, how, how the book of Revelation, what is it about the Revelation uh, of, the, of Jesus that kind of brings us? So we're going to go to chapter 1. Verse 1, we read last week. We started here. This is a quick recap. This kind of tells you about the book. This is a revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. He sent an angel to present this revelation to the servant, John. He says that, who faithfully then reported everything he saw. This is the report of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church and blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says for the time is near. So this first three verses really sets us up what we talked about last week, which was we want to have a healthy approach as you begin to read and study the book of Revelation, that it's really not about you. This is not a revelation of you in terms of how you fit into end times, even though we are there. You know, you'll see us. You'll see Israel. You'll see the church. You'll see the saints. Like, there's, there's going to be conversation about that. But we can't go into this sort of what's in it for me mentality when reading about the revelation of Jesus because guess what? The book of Revelation is about the revelation of... There you go. You guys are so smart, right? It's the revelation of Jesus and the events that are going to happen. These are the visions that John's getting. Last week, I, I shared with you this big list of just kind of breaking up the book of Revelation into ways in which Jesus is revealed, the Alpha and the Omega, the Lamb of God, the righteous judge, uh, the King of kings and Lord of lords, and the bridegroom, because we're the bride. And so there's this beautiful kind of walking through the book of Revelation where you can see just as Jesus is revealed in these different forms as the Lamb who was slain and the Lamb who's worthy to open the scroll. I mean, it's just I, you have to go back and listen to it, but it's beautiful. It's beautiful to see sort of this as Jesus is constantly revealed as the Alpha and the Omega and the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Well, today we're going to pick up, again, a few verses we read last week in order to walk us into the first section of Revelation, which is oftentimes it's set apart because it doesn't have the same feel as the rest of Revelation. It doesn't have the same, the idea of the visions that John gets are so different from chapters four on. 
that it kind of separates itself, but it's really important. And I, I believe it's at the front of this for a reason. I believe it's up front in terms of what Jesus wanted to say to the church and to the churches that he tells John and gives them a specific message for. So again, I'm going to walk you through the beginning of this as we dive into uh, today. This is again in, in chapter 1, verse 9. John, I'm your, brother and part, I'm your brother and your partner in suffering, in God's kingdom, and in the patient endurance to which Jesus has called us. I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. It was the Lord's day, and I was worshiping in the Spirit, and suddenly I heard behind me a loud voice, like a trumpet blast. And it said, write in a book everything you see and send it to the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum and Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea. Let's just leave this verse up real quick. Go back uh, for me, Tony. Sorry. Um, I've said this before, and I want to make sure I say it again, especially for all those that are new. Um, don't, don't be discouraged when you read the Word of God and you read Scripture and you can't pronounce everything. Okay? Just don't get discouraged. Don't, I've, I've just known people that they've kind of shied away from reading Scripture because at some point someone made them feel bad that they didn't know how to say certain things. Okay? They didn't know how to pronounce certain things. And I just want you to know, I'm your pastor. My, I can't spell anything. My tongue hardly works. I make up words all the time. Okay? I'm your pastor. When I read, sometimes I read things, I just go to the first word that looks right to me. Okay? Like I just start going, okay, that's good. Uh, Ephesians and Smyrna and pierogies and Themyscira and sardines and, you know. And, and if you know me, I put the wrong emphasis on, uh, you know, Lodicea. You know, I put the wrong emphasis on vowels and, and I just want you to hear, it's okay. It's okay. Don't ever let that discourage you from opening the Word of God and reading, especially when you get the Old Testament. And trust me, there's going to be more in Revelation that, that you might stumble over. Don't ever let that discourage you. Why? Because there's ways to study that. You can go to the Bible app and hear other people read it. You can go to, you know, you can Google it and it can phonetically help you sound things out. Just, just don't do it, okay? And if you're one of those people that corrects people, you know, I know you're trying to help, but don't do it. If you make them feel bad, don't do it, okay? Just, just, just let people approach the Word of God and nobody's eternity hangs in the balance if it's, you know, they don't say Thyatira right. Everybody with me? So just, just be encouraged by that, okay? Now, he said, here's these seven churches that I'm sending this, this message. The whole, write it down in the book. Everything I'm sending to you is going to these seven churches. Okay, catch that part. When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven golden lampstands. And standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. And he had, his, head was, uh, his head and his hair were white as wool and white as snow, and his eyes were flames of fire. And his feet were polished bronze, refined in the furnace, and his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. And he held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came out of his mouth, and his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. Now, John responds to this by falling on his face before Jesus, his brother, someone he knew. But it's his Lord and King. And again, the way in which Jesus is... is, is it comes to him in this vision, uh, overwhelms him. And that's oftentimes what we see even in the Old Testament, you know, in terms of even the New Testament, when they, when they really see Jesus for who he is. There's an overwhelming that comes. But, but there's a point in all this, and even in this how, how he appears to John, but I wanted to reread that part uh, for it. Keep going. Verse 19, again, he says, write down all that you've seen, both the things that are now happening and the things that will happen. I told you last week, there's three layers to Revelation. This is the Praetorius view, the historic view, the futurist view. There's things happening in that moment. There's things happening in the season of John's life, and there's things that are going to happen in the end and times, okay? It says, the meaning of the mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and the seven gold lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So sometimes when you get visuals in, in John's vision, in, in Revelation, a lot of times you're going to have to have some context to why that visual matters. Okay? And there's going to be a lot of stuff that even brilliant scholars disagree about what that visual means. But there are really cool moments in Revelation where Jesus goes ahead and just tells us what the visual means, right? So you don't have to sit there and figure out where the gold stars and the sevenfold spirit and the what, what does that mean? What does that look like? I don't know. 
But Jesus lets John know in this moment, hey, guess what? The seven gold lampstands represent this. And the stars represent this. Does that make sense? So sometimes it's just in there for us. You just got to keep reading. You just got to keep, keep reading. And Jesus reveals it to John. Here's what I mean by these things. Now, the reason he wanted him to know the seven gold lampstands and the seven stars representing these seven specific churches is because Jesus is getting ready to send a letter, a message to these seven churches by name. Now, these seven churches, you know, they don't get talked a lot about because they're just, they're just a few of the first century churches. They didn't represent all the churches, but they were strategically located. I'm going to give you a quick map, okay? Just so you have some sort of visual and reference in terms of modern-day Turkey, um, uh, kind of Asia Minor. This is, uh, you see Patmos, okay? You see where John would have been exiled. So it gives you some reference to where he is. And then it shows you the churches, right? Ephesus, Smyrna, it kind of shows you where they are. Now, they're kind of strategically located, especially in the early church, because they would have probably been able to, you know, east, north, south, west, they would have been able to get the message. Remember, the whole message of Revelation is given to the seven churches. They would have been able to get the message out to everyone. But Jesus is going to give them a specific message to them. He's going to give them a very special letter message. Just to give you a big picture Okay, just think about the first century church as it grew. Okay, there over there, way north of, of Jerusalem is Antioch. That's where the church had gone, and that was kind of the center of the first century church when they were going through persecution in Jerusalem. They went to Antioch, and Antioch became sort of the center hub. And then you notice that, you know, right there in the center are these seven churches. So again, it was very strategic in terms of where they were, in terms of the, the sea and the Mediterranean Sea and the Aegean Sea and all that, as to how they would have helped get the message out, how they would have helped spread the letters or spread the visions that John had. There are four things I want you to notice. I'm going to read through the letters today. There's four things I want you to notice in every letter. Okay? Now, the letters for these churches were not just to these churches. Again, they have context to these churches, but we can learn from every single letter to every single church. It's the word of God. It speaks to us, okay? But these are letters specifically to the church in Ephesus, to the church in Thyatira, to them. And he brings up contextual things for them in the message that he brings them. But at the same time, there's four things that happen in the majority of these letters. First and foremost, there's going to be a reminder of who the author is. Now, John wrote to the church. Okay? He wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote the first three. John 1, John 2, John 3. He wrote a letter to the church. But, but Jesus wants to make it clear, this isn't John writing you. This is Jesus writing you. And he gives the vision, which is why I read it earlier, the vision that John had of who Jesus came as, He's going to give an element of that to every single church so that they know who the author of this letter comes from. There's always going to be a praise for things well done. Okay? There's, there's something in there in which Jesus tells the church, good job, like well done, good and faithful servant. There's a judgment or rebuke of sin and wrongdoing. Now, that's only seven, or sorry, five out of the seven churches in the way it's kind of presented throughout those letters. Some people argue about that too, but we're just going to keep it simple, okay? Five out of seven. And there's always a promise or reward for obedience. There's always a promise or reward for obedience. So I'm going to read the whole letter to Ephesus, just, just to walk you through it. I won't read the whole letter of every single one. We're going to dive into the meat of the praise and the, and the rebuke of most of them. But, you know, again, it just, it, it, he wants, Jesus wants him to know, it's me who's speaking to you. It's me who's giving you this letter and there's always a promise and reward. It's always the same promise and reward, which is Jesus. <laughs> you get me. But here's how, here's how the church in Ephesus goes. He says, write this. If you want to turn in your Bible, it's Revelation 2. We're going to go through those two chapters. It says, I want you to write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven gold lampstands. Again, using the visual John had, he wanted to know who was writing this. I know all the things you do. Right? I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know that you don't tolerate evil people. 
You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not, and you've discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this complaint against you. I don't know how those words feel to you, but we're going to talk about it in a minute. But like Jesus just saying the words, I got trouble with this. I got, I got a problem with this. I have this complaint against you. Hey, good job, everybody. Isn't it feel like those management classes where you're supposed to sandwich a negative thing? You guys all with me? Where you sandwich a negative thing in between two positives? They got that from the Bible, right? <laughs> I'm just telling you. So, so this is where Jesus tells them what they're doing well, but then to the church at Ephesus, he, he does have a problem. You know, this is, by the way, this is the same church that Paul wrote the letter of Ephesians to. That's the church in Ephesus. He says this, you, you don't love me or each other as you did at first. King James says, you've lost your first love. Look how far you've fallen. I want you to turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. He goes on to say, but this is in your favor. You do hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans or Nicolaitans. This is, this is a group of people we'll talk about in a minute, just as I do. This is Jesus saying, look, you, you, you don't like what they're doing, and I don't like what they're doing. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. And to everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life and the paradise of God. You see those four things show up? The author tells you who it is. There's a praise. Good job, Ephesians. Good job, church. You're doing this great, you know? But then there's a rebuke. You've lost your first love. You've, you've, lost what it is. you've lost the love that you once had, not just even for God, but for each other and how it's expressed uh, to each other. And then there's a call to repentance because it's sin. There's a call to repentance and a call to turn back to God. And the promise is that for those who are victorious, for those who, who succeed in doing that, for those who take that path, they're going to eat from the tree of life. They're going to have fruit from the tree of life in paradise with God. Now, I'm going to quick give reference and credit to Dr. Jim White down in Mech Church. He, he wrote a little bit about the apocalypse, and I just you know loved what he's done in the past. And uh, when I actually looked up stuff with the seven churches, <laughs> I looked at some, some stuff he wrote, and I loved the characterization he gave to all the churches. And so I'm just going to give you full credit. This all comes from Dr. Jim White. I love this quick little characterization he gave all seven churches. I'm going to use it this morning. Uh, but I wanted you to know where I got it from. It's not because I'm quippy or witty or anything. It's like I just loved them. Uh, and here's the quick characterization he gives to the church in Ephesus. They are loyal but loveless. Right? Jesus gives them the praise. You've been loyal to me. You've been loyal in your faith, uh, but you're loveless. You've lost your first love. You're all about the rules. You're all about the book. You're all about the law, but you're not about the heart anymore. You know, you're not about, you're not about the love anymore. You know, you're all about truth, but no grace. Everybody with me? Like that's, that's, that's where they are. And Jesus is telling them that's a problem. Okay, that is an actual problem. Look, it's good that you identify false teachers. It's good that you've identified those who, people who lie. It's good that you identify those who are against God. But you remember, the heart is to love them, right? The heart is to express love to them, to bring them into the grace of God, to bring them towards Jesus, not to just fight this us versus them battle. Because that's just all about the book. You've lost the heart of the book. Everybody with me? So that is what Jesus is saying, is, is that you're loyal, but loveless. And, and I think sometimes I think about even myself and just how the church sometimes really does lose itself and sort of hating the deeds, you know, like, like that. We were always taught that. I think as, even as a kid, there was a tough balance of, I don't know what it means to hate the deeds of, of what's happening and what's been done, but not hate the person right? That's that idea of loving the sinner, but not hating the sin, but loving the sinner. Like, it's not easy. And it just seems that we sometimes, I think in our own self-righteousness and our own walk, sometimes we just drift. <laughs> we can drift sometimes, and you'll see in a little bit, like there's churches that drift towards grace, and 
They have their own issues. And there's those who drift towards truth, and we're still in sin because we've lost our first love. We've lost that love for God, and we've lost that love for God that comes through us to others because that's the real love that we express to each other. Here's the second letter. This is the church in Smyrna. Um, yeah, the church in Smyrna. He says, I write this letter to the angel of the church of Smyrna, and this is the message from the one who's the first and the last, who is dead but is now alive. Again, just repeating the vision that John had. I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. He's encouraging them. Know the blas- I know the blasphemy of those who oppose you. And they say they're Jews, but they're not because their synagogue belongs to Satan. Don't be afraid of what they're about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison and test you, and you will suffer for 10 days. But if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. Anyone who has ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches because whoever is victorious will not be harmed by the second death. And we're going to get into the next couple of weeks what that means. I can't go into it a lot today, but um, there is a second death um, that's pretty significant. We're going to talk about that in two weeks, I think, when it comes to final judgments. But he says, look, those who, those who remain faithful are not going to have to experience that. And I think for this church, the church of Smyrna, what you see is it's the first of, of the two churches that, you know, God doesn't say, I have a complaint against you. They were, they were suffering because of persecution, and they were suffering because of poverty. They were suffering because of how poor they were. And they were suffering because of their circumstances, and they were suffering because of the, of the people that opposed them. The Jews at that time in Smyrna were, 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 were allowing emperor worship to, to sort of infiltrate the synagogue. It was like you know, the, this, this is what was popular at the time. Caesar was now Lord. Caesar was now God and, and deified. And so many of the churches were dealing with cities that, you know, they wanted to, to just kind of keep peace. So they just sort of said, oh, okay, Caesar's Lord. Yet they were claiming to be Christians and Jews. And so Jesus is like, yeah, you, you fought against this for good reason because that's not what that is. They say they're Jews, but they're not. They're claiming that someone else is God. They're claiming that Caesar is Lord. And so the characterization, again, comes out that they're enduring but weakening. And this does happen. The enduring church can continue to weaken if not encouraged, if not, you know, share. You know, this is why I think Jesus shared this letter. Look, I know you're poor and I know there's circumstances around you and I know that you're persecuted, but you are rich. And I am promising you, if you make it through this, I think the, the, the scholars kind of argue about the whole 10-day thing. The, the idea of 10 days is not so much 10 literal days as much as it is 10 represents the season, a limited season of persecution that they are going to have to work through. But, but Jesus is promising that it's limited. He's promising that there's just a season and that this too shall pass. And he says, if you remain faithful, even in that, don't wallow in it. Don't wallow in that suffering. Remain faithful and you will, the promise, the reward will be there. There's the third uh, church, church in Pergamum. Pergamum, Pergamum, yep, say the word right. Pergamum. And he references himself. This is the one who's speaking to you with the mouth of a two-edged sword. This is, this is how Jesus refers to himself. He says, look, I know, that you, I know you live in the city where Satan has his throne, yet you have remained loyal to me. You refuse to deny me even when Antipas, my faithful witness, is martyred among you there in Satan's city. So they've witnessed a, a, a true believer being martyred there. But I do have a few complaints against you. You tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam, who showed Balak uh, how to trip up people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols and by committing sexual sin. And it says in a similar way, he, wanted them to, he took an Old Testament reference and said, look, in a similar way, you've allowed some Nicolaitans among you who follow the same teaching. And he says, I want you to repent of that sin or I will come and suddenly fight against them with the sword out of my mouth. So this is, again, this is 
a point of, 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 of where John, representing, sort of writing this down, Jesus' letter to the church, he says, look, you're, you're doing well, you're being faithful, you are devoted, and you've remained loyal to me, but you've been compromised, and you are compromising. That's the characteristic that you can see in this church. They're devoted, but compromising, right? You've been compromised, you're compromising, and he gives the example, the Old Testament Balaam, and I don't know if you know about the prophet of Balaam, but he was not a prophet for God. Now, God got, a hold, got his attention through a donkey. It's a great story. You need to go back and read that. All right, look up Balaam's donkey. It's great. But he was a prophet who was kind of weaving God into kind of a moralistic message, pagan message. And he says, very similar to Balaam, like you're, you're tr they were tricking Jews into thinking that they could still follow the law and still be okay, but they would also, it was kind of okay for them to still eat the food, you know, offered to idols and, and to engage in sexual immorality. And he's like, and you can be fine doing both. And he says, look, there's some Nicolaitans who are among you that are doing that. And they were, whatever, whatever it is, Jesus is like, you're, you're, you're giving them a platform. You're giving them a platform and you're compromising what needs, you know, what's happening in the church. And I don't know if you feel this way sometimes, but there is a great tension in churches sometimes that that want to claim and want to be devoted, but are oftentimes compromising on other things. Now, whether it's political, in our particular context, it's oftentimes political. So we compromise on something and we give platform to something that shouldn't have it. Aligned all the time with words of devotion and words of alignment and words of loyalty to Jesus. And Jesus says, look, I can't happen. You, you've got to repent from that. You have to call that out. You have to repent of that and turn back to me. He was praising their devotion, but rebuking that compromise. He says, look, if you repent, he goes on to promise them uh, hidden manna, which has got some really cool Old Testament um, meaning, hidden manna that was provided by God, the provision provided by God to the, to the Jewish people. And then he said, I'm going to give you a white stone with your name on it that means something very specific to you, which I just always think is really cool that God would give me a name that not only represents me, but represents who he sees me as. He says, that's what you're going to get. That's, that's, the, that's the promise. The white stone is also pretty symbolic of kind of, uh, you could view it like a VIP pass. You know, it's like they would use it to get into some things as admission. They would use it to sometimes vote, you know, white being good, black, you know, dark stones being bad, like just, there was some significance to that in terms of their context. But I love the promise. He says, you're, you're going to be, you're going to get me. I mean, that's constantly the promise that comes is that you're going to remain faithful and you're going to have me. The church in Thyatira, he identifies himself as the one with fire in his eyes and polished bronze feet. And he goes on to say this. He says, I know all the things you do because I've seen your love and I've seen your faith and I've seen your, your service and your patient endurance, and I can see your constant improvement in all these things. Isn't that a good letter? Isn't that good? That'd be great to get from God. Oh, wait a minute. Okay, hold on. I have this complaint against you. <laughs> you are permitting that woman, that Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet, to lead my servants astray. She teaches them to commit sexual sin and to eat foods off her idols, very similar to what the Nicolaitans were doing. I gave her time to repent but she does not want to turn away from her immorality. And therefore, I will throw her on the bed of suffering, and those who commit adultery with her will suffer greatly unless they repent and turn away from their evil deeds. I will strike her children dead. All the churches will know that I am the one who searches out the thoughts and intentions of every person, and I will give to each of you whatever you deserve. I also have a message, though, for you that rest, or the rest of you in Thyatira who have not followed this false teaching. <laughs> and I love this, where it says deeper truths, as they call them, depths of Satan, actually. Right? Deeper truths, and he says, but actually there's depths of Satan. I will ask nothing more of you except that you hold tightly to what you have until I come. Again, this is, this is Jesus' letter to the church. Look, I know some of you have not gone astray, but... I want you to hold tightly. Hold tightly to what you have until I come. This church is serving, but falsely 
tolerant. They're falsely tolerant. Let me just give you, because this is one that I see probably more often in the Western world. I see this happening in churches in our culture more than anything. This church was knocking it out of the park when it comes to their visible service to others. Okay? Feeding orphans and widows, check. Right? Raising money for, 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 for uh, people who are suffering, check. You know, serving and loving those who need love, check. Loving prisoners, check. Like they were, they were checking off the boxes. You even see Jesus says, you are even improving in this every single day. They're getting better and better at it. They were, I mean, when it came to social justice and everything else, they were knocking it out of the park. He says, the problem is there's a prophet among you. This, he actually refers to Jezebel, which was a real person, by the way. Jezebel was a, a, a person in the Old Testament. Again, reference to the Old Testament, reference for the Jewish people of Jezebel, who was extraordinarily evil, leading people, God's people astray. And he says, you have a Jezebel among you that is leading people. And I've given her time to repent, but she's not repenting. And the people that are following her ways are not repenting. And, and, and I want you to notice in the letter he says, God's, gonna, God's going to judge, and there's something that's going to happen, because everyone's going to know that God is the one who sees your motives. Everybody with me? <laughs> it's going to look to the world, the church is going to look like it's like, woo, look at that church. They are, boy, what a good church they are. Look at all them doing all that great stuff. But God sees your motives and your heart and your intentions. And he's going to judge it. Everybody with me? So just, just hear this, because I, I mean, <laughs> falsely tolerant is a really popular thing nowadays to kind of twist the word love and you know, turn us from acceptance into affirmation, right? To, 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 tur to turn us into this sort of compliant kind of group of people that, that, that spouts the word tolerance and it's false tolerance. When I say false tolerance, understand that God is tolerant for a season of sin. Nod your head if you're with me, okay? He gave her time to repent. That's what, that's what the scripture means when it says that God is tolerant. He is kind. It's his kindness. It's his patience. It's his tolerance that leads us to repentance. Everybody with me? Romans 2. But God's tolerance doesn't mean acceptance or condoning or affirming. His, to his tolerance is a tolerance for a period of time for you to turn and repent. It means judgment's not coming swift. And the church has somehow mixed up this message, especially the church of Thyatira, mixed up this message of like, well, we're serving and we're loving and we're doing and we're committed to the world and we're committed to, to serving the needs of others. And the culture sees that we're tolerant. So that's all that matters. And that is false tolerance. Everybody with me? And I think that's a message for our churches today that we can learn from, from the church of Thyatira. Keep going. Church of Sardis. Church of Sardis. I know the things that you do and have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. You have this reputation for being alive, but you're, you're actually dead. Wake up. <laughs> Strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is almost dead. And I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. Go back to what you heard at the beginning and believed at first. Hold to it firmly. Repent and turn to me again. And if you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly and as unexpected as a thief. And yet there are some of you in the church of Sardis who have not soiled their clothes with evil. And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. And all who are victorious will be clothed in white, and I will never erase their names from the book of life, for I will announce before my Father and his angels that they are mine. Now, this is some pretty contextual stuff. Let me give it to you real quick. Pretty contextual from the standpoint of Sardis uh, was a mountain city, and it was kind of thought to be um, kind of impenetrable. You know, it was, like, it was thought to be like really safe and secure, and nobody could kind of take it. The problem is they were seized more than once. 
actually, in their life. They were actually seized by people more than once. So it wasn't true, even though they kind of were kind of hailed as they had this impregnable city, right? They also were known in the region for their dyed clothes, their their colored cloth and wools. And it made me think of, when I read it, I was thinking about the color festival in India. You guys know what I'm talking about? Right? You, you've seen like, I mean, with 4K, man, like I've, I've watched stuff where it's like beautiful, vibrant colors, like alive colors. And, and Jesus uses all of this in this letter to say, um, if you don't repent, you're going to get seized, whether you think you're seizable or not. Like, I'm coming like a thief. Does that make sense? He's, he's very specific to them. You think that you have this fortress that can't be touched, and I'm telling you, I'm going to come like a thief and take it. He's, and then he goes on to say, some of you have not sold your clothes with evil, meaning you're so used to this beautiful, alive color, this, this sort of on the outside, you look beautiful and alive, but on the inside, spiritually, you are dead, and you are dying And I will come if you don't repent. If you don't wake up what's little left there, I will come. And all of those who have not soiled their clothes with evil are going to be dressed in white. He goes on just to kind of talk about, again, the purification of of the pureness that comes from God, that white color that sort of represents him, pure, versus what they were sort of known for. And so the church, this is a characterization, they're walking the dead. And my challenge to you is just understand spiritual death. (laughs) Spiritual death doesn't necessarily happen like we notice it happens sometimes. Sometimes it's tragedy. Sometimes it's unanswered questions. Sometimes it's, it's people who have outright rejected their faith, turned away from God. But those are the ones we hear about, and those are the ones we read about, and those are the deconstruction sort of stories that, we, that get highlighted. But guys, that is not what the majority of spiritual death looks like. The majority of spiritual death looks like a drifting, slowly, inch by inch, slowly but surely, drifting further and further and further and further away from God and towards self. That's what spiritual death really is. And the call here is you need to wake up. You need to course correct right now. Course correct. Notice you're drifting. Notice you're dying. Notice you are walking but dead. You have an Instagram and a social media and all that kind of thing that looks alive. It's your highlight reel. You look like you're on fire for Jesus, but you are dead. And you are spiritually continually drifting away from God. To you. And that's this church. And Jesus says, you, you need to wake up. You need to course correct right now. What's little left, strengthen what's, what little is there. So you can walk with me in white. So you can be a part of what's coming for those who are victorious. And again, all of this pre, is a precursor to the judgment, to what's going to happen and we talk about in the next few weeks. Let's keep going. This is the church in Philadelphia. Church in Philadelphia, he says, I know the things you do. I have opened a door for you that no one can close. You have little strength, yet you obeyed my word, and you did not deny me. He says, look, I will force those who belong to Satan's synagogue. Again, kind of referencing that. It, It would be like us, the cities that were, he's referencing, it would be like us talking about since, you know, uh, what's Vegas? Sin City? You know how we refer to Vegas as Sin City? It's kind of the same thing. He's talking about these towns that have kind of subjected themselves to emperor worship, and he's like, that's Satan's synagogue. Those liars who say they're Jews, but they're not, and they come and they bow at your feet, and they're going to come and bow at your feet, right? They're going to acknowledge that you are the ones that I love. Like, this is what's going to happen. Because you've obeyed me and, and my commands to, pers- uh, to persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world test those who belong to this world. I am coming soon. I want you to hold to what you have so that no one will take it away, or no one will take away your crown. And those who are victorious will become pillars of the temple of my God, and they will never have to leave it, and I will write on them the name of my God, and they will be citizens of the city of my God. It's the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven for my God, and I will also write them my new name. 
And, and so, again, this is a lot of, again, this is a lot of precursor language to what's coming in the rest of John's visions about a time of testing, about a time of tribulation for the whole world, a time of struggle. But you're going to notice that the church in Philadelphia is also, it's the second church that doesn't really get a rebuke. It doesn't really get a, I have a complaint about you. He just goes on to say, look, you are weakened. You are weakened from your persecution, but you have been faithful and you've remained faithful to me. And he's basically just saying, I want you to hold on. Stay true. Stay faithful. Great message to the church. Seventh letter is to the church in Laodicea. And there's some great context in the church of Laodicea, but let me, let me give it to you really quickly, just so you can see. This is one of those great one decks of Jeep because it's kind of, uh, there's so much internal language in this one compared in, in light of who they are. Just so you know about this church, this region, this city, they are wealthy. I mean, we're talking wealthy, 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 right? Like stupid Charlotte Valentine wealth. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like crazy, I don't even know that money. I don't even print that money. You know what I'm saying? Like, like wealthy. So much so that there was an earthquake. I believe it's stated there's an earthquake in about 60 AD. And they, were, they didn't even want money from Rome. They refused money from Rome because they had all they needed to rebuild. They had all they needed to take care of. Like they are wealthy, okay? The second thing to know is, again, they were very, very... Um, they were very, very known for their clothes, and they had sort of fine linens and silks and all sorts of things that they were the center of sort of like, if you think Paris is the center of the fashion industry, very similar would be the Laodicea region. And the third is their medical advancements. They actually were, were, were extremely smart and wise in medical uh, technology at that time, if you will. They had ointments that could actually cure vision problems. They had all sorts of incredible things that they were known for. <laughs> and the fourth thing that they're known for is that they had zero fresh water, right? They had zero fresh water. If you look at the region, it was about, it was, it, the water had to come in. Everybody think California. Everybody ready? Okay. The water had to come in, right, for about six miles or so from the closest, you know, hot springs or whatever, and it would have to come in through aqueducts and through piping to get to the city. But the city was known for not having its own fresh water, so it didn't have any cold fresh water that they could just drink from and you know, do something with. It didn't necessarily have any hot springs that they could just jump in and take a bath or you know, however, whatever you do with hot springs, right? It was sort of this sort of tepid water that always had to be treated, right? This water that came in it wasn't fresh, and they had to treat it in order to use it. They had to treat it in order to do it. So these are the things that you sort of can get to know about this region because this really ties into what Jesus says to this specific church. So here's the letter to the church in Laodicea. He actually um, starts off this way. He says, look, I know the things that you do, <laughs> that you are neither hot nor cold. And I wish that you were one or the other. And since you are not, or since you're, you're lukewarm or like lukewarm water, you're neither hot nor cold. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. I mean, the fact that Jesus immediately uses language about them that they would have understood completely. Okay? I, I mean, for most of us, there's a, there's a one out of 15 chance we touch anything lukewarm this week at all, right? I mean, like we, we can control those things. So we don't get that like they get this. But Jesus is saying, you are the ones that are not hot or cold. You are the ones that are lukewarm, and I would spit you from my mouth. He says, I'm rich, or you say that I'm rich, and I have everything that I want. I don't need a thing. But you don't realize that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Do you notice all the references there? Blind, poor, naked, compared to all the things they were known for. He says, I'm going to advise you to buy gold from me. Gold that's been purified by fire. And then you'll be rich. 
I want you to buy white garments from me. So you will not be shamed by your nakedness. And I want you to buy ointment <laughs> for your eyes, for me. So you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Now, the church in Laodicea doesn't actually get a long list of praise for good reason. But Jesus' challenge to them is you guys sure do lean on yourselves a lot. And you don't understand that you're really naked and poor and blind. And, you know, it's like, you don't really get that. And I love that he, he offers that. He says, I want, you to, I want you to buy it from me. If you will get it from me, it's, it's going to be real wealth. It's going to be real value. If you get it from me, it's going to really clothe you and wrap you up. If you get it from me, you're going to really be able to see things. Not, not trusting in your own wealth, medical technology, ointments, you know, uh, clothes. I want you to, to look here. But I think, man, the, the one that hit me, and I'm telling you, I mean, I've read this several times in my life, but the verse that got me this time when I read it was just, was just that thing where he said, I want you to turn from your indifference. And man, just what broke my heart about the the church, the letter to this church is just what I feel oftentimes, even in my own heart about the church, is just that we don't really care enough to care. We're not caring enough to care either way. Oh, we get passionate about some really dumb things. Just go on your social media feed. Yeah, we get passionate about some, some, some opinions that don't make a hill of beans a difference in the world about nothing except for what you're miffed about today or you're passionate about today or you got some, 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 some stuff to say about today. And Jesus says, I want you to repent and turn from that indifference where you don't really care enough to care. I wish you'd care either way. That's actually kind of hard thing for me to hear Jesus say. I wish you were just, I mean, if you're going to be a sinner, just go out and sin, you know? Be the best you can be. You know, don't, don't you, you know, like, I, don't, I know that's not what he's saying, but he's like, man, don't be indifferent. Don't be lukewarm. And if you're going to follow me, then by God, follow me. Care about the things that you're supposed to care about. Turn from your indifference because you're so comfortable. And that's really the, the categorization. You're so comfortable, but you don't realize how wretched you actually are spiritually to God. So the challenge today, I'm going to wrap this up real quick, is that, number one, I don't think that any of us in this room, because we're all pretty saintly in here, um, I don't think any of us feel like we're self-righteous enough that we could write a letter to the Church of America. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think we might think we could. Like, there'd be moments where we're like, I could write a church to the church. You know, I could write a letter to the church. But we're not Jesus, so we can't do that, Okay. But I, I would want you to just consider for a minute this question. What, what would, what would Jesus' letter to me address? Like, like if he were to write one to me. He was so specific to write a letter to the church in that city. But if he wrote one to, to you, like what, what do you think it would say? First off, how would he identify himself for you that you would know that it's Jesus talking to you. What would he praise? What, what would he say? Great job. I see this. I see all that you do. I, I see the motive. I see the intention. Good job. What would he rebuke? What would he... What would he <laughs> and that's just convicting for me. <laughs> hey, Matt... I got a couple complaints about you. I'll be honest, when people complain about stuff, I barely listen most of the time. You know what I'm saying? Like people can people can come to me and be like, it's too hot in here, it's too cold, it's too loud. And I'm just like, <laughs> whatever. I just I, I don't I don't really hear complaints all that well. 
But what a sobering thought for me to consider that if Jesus came and said, Matt, I have, I have some complaints. And, and boy, just the heart of repentance that I want to have to those things, whatever they would be. And I already know the promise. I have his word. I'm already, I'm already aware of the promise that if I repent and if I turn back to him and I course correct, I get him. I get Jesus. And boy, we, are we going to need it as we go through the rest of Revelation. As we get a clearer picture of what's coming, that promise, that hope, holds a whole lot more weight. Here's how he closes the letter in Laodicea, but I love, I love it so much, I just think it's a great close for all of it. Because he says, look, I stand at the door and knock, and if you hear my voice and you open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. What a beautiful invitation. Because those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I am victorious and sat with my father on his throne. And anyone who has ears to hear, you've got to listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. That verse alone sums up today. I'm just praying that we have ears to hear and to understand what is he saying to the churches today, what is he saying to this church today, what is he saying to you today. And then repent and move back to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the letters specifically to these churches, uh, we understand the context, God, but, but yet there's so much wisdom and rich encouragement and challenge in these letters for us today. Not just us as a church, but us as individuals and followers of you to really begin to reflect and think through what it is you are trying to tell us today. God, through your spirit, do a work we want to have ears to hear, and we want to understand so that we can have you, so that we get the reward of you. And we pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.